When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. time for this week's edition of the Terry's Talking Podcast. I'm David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com. And Terry Pluto is joining me, award-winning columnist for the Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. How are you doing, Terry? I'm doing well. I'm going to the game. This is Tuesday night, so the weather looks perfect, and maybe they'll score three runs. Yeah, it was one of those days where you walk outside and you're like, oh, I'd love to be like shagging fly balls. Today. Did, you shagle, yeah. did you shake a lot of fly balls when you were a kid? You must have, right? Oh yeah, I know you're a baseball yeah, I player. Love to play. I mean, when I was a little kid, throw a rubber ball against the wall. You know, oh just yeah, catch it. So draw the box yeah. on there. <laughs> yeah, made up, and also just kind of made up games in my head. So oh, it yeah. was fun. I wonder if anybody does that anymore. Yeah, it's weird. You know, you drive around, you don't see kids like playing baseball anymore, just for fun. It's all it's organized been a long with uniforms. Time. No. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of sad. That would be. Uh, it's so. kind of bas- all basketball now. So, all right. Well, let's talk some baseball, Terry. The Guardians struggling offensively. They're 16 and 19 in third place in the division. They're three games behind the twins with their loss last night. They fell half game behind the tigers and weirdly they are six and 10 at home. Uh, What's going on, Terry? What are you seeing here in terms of the offensive lack of production? I mean, other name. Let me try this, David. What do you say is going right period with the team? What would you say is going right? Uh, the pitching, right? Like the starting pitching, they're holding it together as best they can. It yeah, could the, be a lot worse, the, right? Yeah, yeah, the influx of kids because, well, Savali got hurt so long ago. Polizak was terrible. It's interesting to look at. Polizak was terrible up there. He goes down and throws first game at Columbus and then gave up one run in six innings. There is a huge gap between AAA and the big leagues. And you see it often when somebody like that, because I, I doubt that Polizak suddenly went down there, figured out a bunch of things and and just dazzled them and you could just bring them back. But when you think about this, had no no McKenzie, basically no Savali. Polizak's been awful. Um, you know, Beaver's held his own. And then after, and Quantrill, until his last couple starts, really struggled. Uh, just based on that alone, I would have thought they might be worse than 16 and 19. I'm not trying to say turn that frown upside down. I'm just saying this is a team that relies on pitching, but they've been fortunate. I mean, I was there Friday night when Bettenfield pitched, and he doesn't have great stuff, but that was masterful. I mean, he worked the corners. He looked like a veteran starter. I mean, we'll see if this continues, but I think he's only had one bad outing. Um, probably Bybee, that was probably the worst game he had as a pro. It's hard to remember. The guy's only in his second pro season. Which is really something, isn't it? With the composure yeah. and everything we're seeing from him. Mm-hmm. And then Logan Allen, we talked last week about the problems he had going from double A to triple A and how Rob Cerferlio said it. Some, he's the um, farm director for Cleveland. He said that some of these pitchers, um, it's not a big deal. And for others, it is. It has to do with, I don't understand why. They use a different baseball at triple A in the majors than they do in the double A and below in the minors. And so sometimes you see a guy go off from double A to triple A and you think it's a hitters and really it has to do with where the seams are and his throwing his breaking ball. Uh, Sir Folio told me a lot more about this than I really needed to know other than the ball's different. And he just thought that Allen would come back 
uh, strong this year, and he has. So they have low, and then you turn around and you look in the minors. They have Gavin Williams and, and Joey Cantillo. Uh, Cantillo is a guy that he's just blowing people away at uh, at Double A. He is a guy that they also got in from San Diego. One of those trades. So they just keep coming up with pitchers and pitchers. But here's the problem, Dave. When you look for hitters, you find not much in the minors to go to. No. Yeah. Not in the upper levels. So the Guardians uh batting average I think is the third worst in the major leagues at what a two twenty three. I think the twins mm-hmm. are the worst, oddly enough, at two twenty, and they're still in first place. So I mean, that's the great thing about being this div- in this division, Terry, every year is you're never really out of it this early. Um so, but, you know, like you said, the guys they have on the roster have got to hit better. I mean, that's the only way they're going to get out mm-hmm. of this. And and one of those that I know we want to talk about is Mike Zanino, because yes, there were defensive issues when they brought him in, but they thought they were going to get more offense than they're getting out of him, didn't they? Well, how do you feel about six for 47 with 26 strikeouts? I know Six a lot of catchers who could do that. I know a lot of catchers. 20, yeah, including that. Austin Hedges, who wouldn't let every yep. ball that bounces in the dirt get by him. Um, yes, he is. I mean, right now his batting average is down to 187, and it, but he's just been falling and falling. Um, I don't know if he's not really healthy or what, but there's something wrong with him. Now, I did look, and I was a little surprised by this. Um in 2020, Zanino led the league with 10 pass balls. In 2021, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, the, the basic, let me try this again. In 2020, when they played only 60 games, he led the league with five pass balls. In 21, he led the league with 10 pass balls. Last year, he didn't play that many games because he was hurt, and right now he leads the league with three pass balls. And wild pitches, um, you know, he gives up a ton. He doesn't do a good job back there. And, you know, he doesn't throw very many people out. Now they keep saying he's good working with the pitchers and calling the game, and that may be true. But the I just – this this is the, something I will find it hard to believe. Francona, who always talked about catching, be a defensive position in that, that they're going to put up with this for a long time. Well, Terry, that raises the question. I mean, this we'll talk about Oscar Gonzalez in a minute, but, but part of the reason they sent him mm-hmm. down is because he was platooning, and and you know, there's a fine line between giving a guy so many at bats that they hurt you and so many at bats that they can get back into the swing. But like with Mike, they started the season. The Guardians started the season with three catchers because they they kind of knew that this might come up. So, if you're Terry Francona, how many games a week are you playing Zanino at this point? Because you don't want to take all his at-bats away. You want to let him work through this. But it's getting to the point where it's hurting, isn't it? Yeah, I you think do? it is. Well, the, the big discussion, they have all these marginal guys, you know, behind him. Well, the big discussion is Bo Naylor. Right now, Naylor is hitting 261, 917 OPS at Columbus, 7 homers, 26 RBIs. Now, keep in mind that um, oh, there's a big gap. And guys, ten, and that's a nice park to hit it. He's only thrown out two out of thirty stolen base runners. I was shocked. I, I double checked that. Of course, right now bases are being stolen like crazy because you can't you know throw over there a bunch of times. The bases are bigger, etc. I mean, Zanino's throwing out. Looks like he's throwing out. You know, like four out of twenty-five. So he's not throwing anybody out either. Um, but I, if I recall. Naylor was pretty good about blocking balls and that kind of stuff. So that, I mean, there was a game the other day, I think it was when they were in Boston, and it was one of the 10th inning games. So Classe comes in the game. There's a guy in second base. He throws a high fastball. It goes off of Zanino's glove. He should have caught it. Now there's a runner on third. You know, nobody out. They ended up losing that game. I mean, that's not the only reason, but catch the ball. Block the ball. I'm sure this is driving Sandy Alomar nuts because if you've looked like Luke Maley last year was good behind the plate, Austin Hedges, you can just go down. Roberto Perez, Jan Gomes, all these guys uh, were pretty good catchers. And some of them, like Jan Gomes, wasn't even much of a catcher until he came to Cleveland. They taught him to catch here. 
So this is a, and Zanino's no kid. I, I, there's a lot more wrong going on, but I guess this is like to me something that you could look at, you could fix defensively. Yeah. Yeah. Find somebody. If he can't do it, find somebody else. So, so what are you doing, Terry? Like, how, are you bringing up Bo Naylor? Are you you leaving him in the minors? Are you like, if you have seven games in a week, how many are you going to play Mike Zanino going this next week here? What would you do? I mean, to me, you could bring up Naylor and play him two or three a week and play Zanino the rest. You could split it for a while and see how it goes. You can do that. Sure. You tried everybody else. You try all kinds of people. I mean, this is the great uh, land of opportunity. At, progressive feel i mean <laughs> they, they just bring them in here take a look at them and how um, much worse can it get really i mean you, if you look at well it. and also you think he's a catcher your future it may be time to accelerate that and then if he struggles you can go shopping probably for some guy who could block the ball in the dirt there's probably somebody out there i mean luke mailey i looked at right now with the reds he's seven for 28 he's not catching that much um i mean you know he looks like he would look like Sandy Alomar compared to what we've been watching. So that's my rant about um, the rest of this. But when you look at it, you go around the diamond. Um, I'm hoping him and S starts to hit because he's not hit the ball hard or anything. This looks a little bit like what he was hitting when he first came up two years ago when he was struggling. Um, now, I don't think that's going to be the case, but, boy, I, I'm sure they expected more of him. And, um, well, do you want to do Jimenez right now? Let's, let's get into this a little bit. I, I, yeah. I, I was interested. I was in fan graphs kind of poking around cause I wanted to see like, there's, there's kind of two parts of hitting right there. There's pitch selection mm-hmm. and then there's when you put the ball in, when you put contact on the ball, like how hard are you hitting it? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Jimenez last season, his, um, balls, Batted balls in play. In play, yeah. Right. He batted 353 on batted balls in play last season. This season, he's batting 263 mm-hmm. on batted balls in play. Um, you know, his his walking his walk ratio went from 6.1% to 5.1%, and his strikeout percentage mm-hmm. went from 20% on the 19 this season. So, I mean, yes, those are, those are a slight decline, but that's 90 points on the batted balls in play, which tells us that, and this is the same with Oscar Gonzalez. We can talk about him in a minute. But when they are putting the ball in play, they're not getting they're not getting it barreled up, right? No. In fact, basically, I was looking at some of this. There's a there is a story on Fangraphs. Basically, well, the guy created uh, an argument that nobody was making. His argument said, "Well, last year everybody fell in love with the Guardians. Says all you have to do is not strike out, and you'll score runs." Nobody said that. Nobody said that That what we did say was, first of all, excessive strikeouts are excessive strikeouts. And basically, when you're striking out, the best you could hope for is the catcher misses the ball and you get to first base. That's it for striking out. The caveat is if you hit the ball, you've got to hit it reasonably hard. See, that would be where you get into all the, the statistical swamp of hard ball, you know, Hardball percentage, that kind of thing. Exit velocity and all that. Yeah, right. but just looking at it, uh, Jimenez is not hitting the ball hard. I mean, Jose's not hitting the ball as hard as normal because you could see he hasn't not that many homers, and you know, just they're not getting the doubles. What what the Guardians did well last year was hit a whole bunch of doubles, and that would be worth us as we're talking to kind of check out to see. David is like where they rank for example, which I will do as we're talking in double. So why don't you say something while I'm checking this out? <laughs> All right. Well, I, I want to talk, I want to talk about Oscar Gonzalez too, because he's, okay. he's part of the struggles and, and the guardians did just send him down to the minors. Um, you wrote a column the other day about Oscar Gonzalez. Actually, was it today? I'm trying to remember what yeah, day it was. Yeah, it was posted it. today. Correct. Yeah, it was posted yeah. today. I read it yesterday um, about how, you know, what a great year he had last year coming up last season, promoted in mm-hmm. May what he had 25 hits in his first 15 games, um, yeah. 789 OPS at the end of the season and the, and the great showing in the playoffs. And then this year, 192 batting average of 501 OPS, 75 plate appearances. He had four extra base hits, which is yeah, one that homer, was a, bit, a triple and two doubles. Yeah. That was the most alarming stat. 
And then the other interesting thing about that, like for example, last year, by the way, the Guardians were 11th in the in baseball in doubles. You know, out of 30 teams, they were 11th, and they were uh, they were 11th in the triples. So you know, they no, excuse me, third in triples. So while they were low in homers, they were good in doubles, and they were good in triples. You know, they, and which means you hit the ball hard. You don't bunt a double. Um, and this year, I think they're like 20th in doubles. So they need to go back and do that. In terms of Gonzalez, um, the argument that, well, that the league has figured him out and all that, there, there is some validity to that. But as I wrote in my story today, and I think it's going to be in tomorrow's paper, is that in spring training, I'm watching him, and I'm getting alarmed. I'm a Gonzalez fan because I wanted to see this kid get a chance because he, he raked in the monitors. He really hit. And they didn't like him because he didn't walk. He didn't walk much. And I kept arguing, well, he doesn't strike out that much either. Uh, but he wasn't even hitting in spring training. Nobody is game planning uh, in spring training for opposing hitters. Guys are just out there. They're just out there, you know, working on their stuff. And it, it looked exactly like what we see here. And usually they always say, be careful in spring training because, well, veterans, it doesn't sort of doesn't matter, but. Uh, with the younger players, because it's easy to hit down there. I mean, usually teams have batting averages of 300 or more. I don't know if he got out of shape in the offseason, didn't look heavy to me, but something happened to him. And Terry, just to compare to what uh, Jimenez had going, you look at the the walk and strikeout rates for Oscar Gonzalez, 3.9 walk percentage last year, went down to 2.7 this year, slight decline. Strikeout percentage, 19.6 last year, 20% this year with the Guardians. It's about the same. It's about the same. And then the same thing as Jimenez. It's with the batted balls in play, he batted 345 last year with the Guardians on batted balls in play. And this year, he had a mark of 228. That's 117 points lower. He hit the so, ball hard last year. He had like 27 doubles, 27 doubles or something in 90 games. He was Mr. Double. In fact, I remember several times Francona was asked, do you think he'll hit for more power in this? And he says, I just want him to hit the ball hard. I don't want, because they were fearful, frankly, of something like this happening. Now, did he come into spring training trying to hit for more power and mess the swing up? But it looks to me like he's just reaching for the ball. So we could go on about there. But, you know, they need more on a Naylor. Uh, supposedly, Naylor's hitting hit the worst luck uh, of anybody on the team. And they looked at hard hit balls caught. I was looking at some of that stuff. Uh, but, you know, Jimenez not hitting, we've been real kind towards him. But that's a big deal. I mean, he's a big part of the offense. You know, Quan is hitting this 270, 280. I don't think Quan's a 300 hitter. But Quan does his job. You know, Rosario, okay, we can't – it's 71 degrees today. No more it's cold. No more it's too early. Ahmed, you got to start hitting. Now is your time. Well, yeah, and to be fair, Terry, we're comparing full season numbers from last right. year against against April and, and early May numbers this year. So, yes, it's, it's going to go up. But, you know, we've been reading so much about the shift making batting averages go up, and mm-hmm. and, and it was expected to be a big jump, and, like, it's, it's early, but – it, you got to be concerned, and uh, and the Guardians have am, said like, we, we have nowhere to go. We have nowhere to go. Yeah. We, and <laughs> there's an old saying in hockey, Terry: when when things don't go your way, shut your mouth and play harder. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's, that's kind of it. What they have I mean, to they do could, the other the only things they could bring up Naylor, and then if they want to, yeah, you know, they have Freeman up here. I don't know. Is he Freeman? He he goes up and down. I lose track if he's on the roster at the moment or not. I think he is. I think he, because I think he replaced Gonzalez. So you could trade, see if you could find a market for Rosario, and you could trade him and kind of do Freeman and Rocaccio. Uh, I always get this name wrong. Rocchio. 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 I don't know yep. why. And he's Roberta's prospect of the year. Remember that's that. That's right. That's, yes. That's her, her call. Rocchio. Um, they could go with those guys at short. You know, you're getting even younger. Um, but otherwise, to your point, this is it. And Frank Cohen, I wrote a column about that last weekend when I went out there and I, I asked him. And he's like, these are the guys we have. Pitching. We could talk about pitching all day. We can find all kinds. We got a lot more starters. You know, they're, they're just, they just keep coming. But uh, the hitting, George Valero, who was supposed to be this big prospect, he hurt his hand. He still wasn't swinging the bat or I don't know what he's doing. He's not playing. And the rest of it is just, 
they're here. You know, they they rushed a bunch of these guys up here as it was. And so uh, I'm going to look up something because I just was kind of curious on this. And uh, this was my guy where Roberta was all over. Uh, Rokio? Juan. Oh, last year. Owen Miller was my guy. Let's see if he's doing anything. And the answer is uh, Owen Miller is batting. <laughs> you hate when this happens. 291 for the Brewers, playing part-time. OPS, 667. No homers, five RBIs. He's only put 55 at bats, but, well, that would have looked pretty good in this team. <laughs> so, Well, Terry, you oh, said boy. you say you're concerned about the offense. Um, I want to yeah. end with a quick question here. We have a letter from Neil Daniels. He's from Jamestown, New York, and he says, Terry, it seems to me that the Guardians have a new kind of outfield problem, three good outfielders with no power. I guess that's better than no good outfielders, but still a problem. I think Gonzalez is more likely to become a one-season cult hero than any kind of reliable hitter. What do you think? The analytics people would tell you that's true. I'm not as totally – I like analytics, but I'm not totally bought into that. You know, my analytics also say that 85% of all hitters go to the minors – players, excuse me, go to the minors um, at least once. And I listed a bunch of big-time hitters that Cleveland had that went to the minors at least once, from Jim Tomey to Albert Bell to Rocky Calavito. Uh, you just go right down. In fact, the only big exception uh, was Manny Ramirez. He came he came up and stayed. And so most of these guys end up going back. You know, Kenny Lofton bounced up and down. Uh, they, they just do. I, I remember Jason Kipnis was one of the exceptions. But if you look at Ramirez has gone up and down. Jimenez has gone up and down. Naylor's gone up and down. All these guys. But I think at this point, what also Frank Hunter was making the point of when you talk about Naylor and you talk about Jimenez and you talk about you know, Straw or some of these other guys, they're old enough. Like It's time for them to be here and produce. All right. Well, the weather's going to get warmer. They're going to keep working through it. And you're saying there's a chance. So I think that 85% is a I mean, really important stat, they, Terry. Right. I yeah. mean, they've played kind of crummy all year, and they're 16 and 19. Yeah, for sure. And it is really early. Um, they're back at it tonight at Progressive Field against the Tigers. And uh, we'll see. It's going to be – the division is going to go down into August, September. We know that. So we'll see where we're at in, a, in another couple months. So, all right, let's take a break, Terry. When we come back, uh, we're going to get into the Cavaliers a little bit. I want to ask you what you think the Cavs can learn from the Miami Heat. And we'll do that when we come back on Terry's Talking. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. We're back on Terry's Talk and David Campbell and Terry Pluto. We're going to get into some Cavaliers here. Terry, we're, I've been watching the NBA playoffs as you have, and the New York Knicks are really taking it from the Miami Heat right now. And I'm sure a lot of Cavs fans are watching that series and saying, that's what the Cavs want to be right there. What do you think are some of the lessons, or a key lesson, if there's only one, that you think the Cavs can take away from the way Miami plays? Well, base what Miami did is play harder than New York, like New York played harder than Cleveland. And what the the Heat have going for them is Jimmy Butler at the age of thirty three is on, 
you know, this mission to, to, I guess, take his team to the finals or something. In eight playoff games, he's averaging 33.5 points. He's shooting 56% from the field and 39 on, on threes. I mean, just six and a half rebounds, five assists, uh, and just, you know, got the team on his back. Because you look at that, and I'm sure they're double teaming him and everything else because there really isn't anybody else on that roster that would scare you. You know, Bam Abadeo is very good, um, you know, on the boards and, and that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's not like you're going to set your whole defense to stop him. Then you got Gabe Vincent. I'm just reading names. Max Struth, Caleb Martin, Kyle Lowry, who's 36 years old. Um, and then you have somebody who's 34 year old. And who would that be? Kevin Love. Kevin Love. Kevin Love. In the playoffs, averaging eight and a half points, averaging seven rebounds, playing 22 minutes, shooting identically of 37% from the field and 37% on threes. They've found a way to hide Love's defensive deficiencies. And the reason he was taken out of the lineup, in the rotation, excuse me, in Cleveland, is because they wanted to play Dean Wade and JB had felt that love who was shooting also poorly from threes at that time was really hurting them defensively. Well, it can't be that bad. Well, and Terry, you think about Kevin loves defense. And I, I know that fans always go back to that play in game against Atlanta last mm-hmm. year when, when the, the Hawks just kept putting him in a pick and roll over and over and over with Trey young out high and the Cavs are just getting exposed. And I'm sure that was in the back of the Cavs' mind when they made the move. Like, are we going to yes. get in that same situation again? But you watch the Heat. That's They're not putting him out that in that situation. Like, he's always in the paint. They're, they're putting other guys out top to deal with those pick and rolls most of the time. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Love is playing, you, you know, in the paint and, and down low, getting rebounds, boxing guys out, throwing passes, and doing what he does. Like, it's an interesting way so, they're using them. They have other guys that they can put out top. So they have. I think they're just more creative. So this would be. This is where um, you work with JB and you look at stuff. And one thing about uh, JB, he's not a, a my way or the highway guy. You know that I invented basketball and this is how we play it. That's not him. And I think he will. You know, have some real honest uh, look at himself and some of the rotations and things. Uh, because that turned out to be a, a mistake. Now, had Dean Wade played as they projected, which is that he would be good defensively and make threes, you know, the classic stretch, the stretch four, as they call it, which means a power forward who helps you on the boards and rebounds and also can make threes, well, then it wouldn't be a discussion. But heck, we, I mean, by the time the playoffs were around, Wade was just gone. I mean, he, he didn't even play any minutes that mattered. Um, so that's one of the things. But the other is, I think just to look at what uh, Spolster does, who's been coaching there forever. I mean, when you look at how they've done this, you know, Tyler Hero is a big part of their team. You know, this is a guy that averaged 20 points a game during regular season. He's only played two playoff games because of injuries, and they're still there. So um, it's pretty admirable. This is the way they want to play. Well, then the Cavs have to figure out how to do this. I'm going to be curious to see when they look at things that um, have an honest discussion on, on Donovan Mitchell, that Donovan Mitchell is not Jimmy Butler. I mean, that's also what this shows. He's not the guy that almost guarantees to get you the second round or that he's really good. He gets you into the playoffs, but he's now been in the playoffs six times with two different teams. Utah had a good team too. And he's only got out of the playoff first round of the playoffs twice, and he's only got as far as the second round. So, you know, he's a really and you like you like to have a guy that's a star that gets you the playoffs. There, there's a lot of comfort in that. But we see he just can't carry you. You know, I mean, LeBron is LeBron is doing at the age of 38 is phenomenal. Um, you know, and we saw what Steph Curry has done too with their different teams and. So I'm not saying he should be in that category, but he's. I think they were hoping he would be more like a Butler or, or one of those players. 
And the playoffs for him the last few years have not been good if you look at the stats. Yeah, uh, Jimmy Watkins, who we work with, Terry, he covers our rivalry beat here at Cleveland.com. He wrote a really interesting story about the Heat a couple of months ago about their – you talked about Spolstra and the culture they've built there. And I remember part of this story was we have a culture here, and when you come here, you know what it is. Like everybody shows up for practice an hour early mm-hmm. <laughs> and gets in pre-practice work. Like that's what they do. And, and everybody knows that you stay, you go early, you stay late. And, and Jimmy Butler like embodies that. Somebody asked Spolcher what Jimmy Butler means to the team. And he said, he is everything we are all about in one guy. Yeah. And I think the Cavs can learn from this, from what they're seeing, getting back to what you were saying. Like if you combine that kind of a culture with your star player and he can pull everybody along. Like that's where they want to be. And I don't know mm-hmm. that this was the season that, that was going to happen because it was new. The roster was the youngest in the NBA. Like you said, Donovan Mitchell hadn't done it before. But I, I think as this thing moves along the next couple of years, that's what they strive to be is where, yes, your star makes shots. But like LeBron, if he's having an off night, he can make the other guys better. And I don't know that Donovan Mitchell was able to do either of those in this playoff series. Is that accurate? Yeah. Um, other than the one game where they didn't uh, defend Garland very well in New York, and Donovan, I think, had a bunch of assists. To carry the Miami theme farther, Pat, it began with Pat Riley when he went there, and they were you know, really tough. And then Riley begat Spolstra, like in the Bible, so this one begat that one. <laughs> but People who know are around LeBron, and I've written this in the past, said the best thing to happen to LeBron in terms of becoming a winning player and getting a little bit off of the whole world revolves around me was going to Miami because he was, you know, he remembered to quote, this is, I remember uh, Keith Dambrod, who was his high school coach, told me this. He went to Miami and he, and quote unquote, he was no longer the golden child. And, you know, Wayne Wade was there and, and Bosch was there and they had the culture you talked about and he learned how to win those tough playoff games there. And then when he came to Cleveland, you saw him just carry that team four straight years to the finals. And the classic line, an executive told me LeBron's greatest exam, greatest um, accomplishment. What is it, Terry? Uh, getting the, Cleveland the title. He goes, yeah, I guess I would say that, but we also say keeping Kyrie in line for three years. And it was, and that came out of the Miami thing. And then you turn around and you see he's doing it with the Lakers right now. He's dragging these guys. I mean, you don't know what Anthony Davis is going to do from game to game. You know that, and he's he's just taking them along. And so that's that Miami stuff. And that's what I think what JB is trying to get going here in Cleveland, but they were exposed simply to not being as tough as they thought. Well, and they're seeing what it takes now. So it's all part of the education. So Terry, I was thinking next week, maybe each of us can come up with a move that we think the Cavs could make this offseason in terms of adding to the roster. We've been talking a lot here about developing culture and improving the guys you have, but maybe next week we'll each We'll just bring that and see if we can come up with it. And then the discussion of, you know, you have two big guys. All of a sudden now, big guys used to be in. Now they're out. Now they're, you know, now they're back out again. I'm starting to hear, well, maybe the Cavs shouldn't have all these big guys. So we can look at that. That's one of the columns I'm going to work on. Because basically just over the next few weeks, I'm just, as they call it, a series of columns. As different themes come up, I'm going to work on that one. All right. Let's uh, move to the Browns, Terry. They are heading into rookie minicamp this weekend. We're going to get our first look on the field at the new guys they brought in. I, I don't know if you want to do a quick summary of the Browns draft as you see it, and then you kind of have one player that you're calling the sneaky pick of the draft. Yeah, well, well I'll just go the, the sneaky pick, and that's uh, Mitchell from uh, um, Northwestern. Northwestern. Yes, um, because first of all, when you look at the Browns' defensive backs, what happens to them? They get hurt. I don't want to talk about this. People talk about Danzel Ward, but other guys, Newsom gets hurt. They get hurt. Because that's why about game 14, you're out there and you got the, who is that guy, A.J. Green? 
No, not AJ Green, the receiver. You know, this is like, who is that guy? You know, playing there are all these other guys in the defensive backfield. So Mitchell will probably get a chance to play. Secondly, I was told that um, Schwartz really likes Mitchell because he was uh, very good in press coverage, which Northwestern did not play that all, that much. Um, by the way, you know who Northwestern's defensive coordinator was? No. Who? Jim O'Neill. Remember when he was oh, here yeah. with Mike Pettin and that was a disaster? These guys never go away. They just keep getting other jobs. So, I mean, maybe he's a good college defensive coordinator. I don't know. But he was terrible here. Anyway, um, so Mitchell would be is my uh, sneaky guy. And also he's good on special teams. He was covering kicks and punts. Do you have a sneaky guy? Um, you know, I'm really interested to see Luke Whipler, and mm-hmm. I we talked about him a little bit last week, but he doesn't measure like your typical NFL center. I think he's only about 300 pounds and six foot tall. But you know, he doesn't, and he doesn't have long arms like we talked about. But I think inside, he's got enough technical ability where he can hold his own. And if they need him, I think he'll be all right. You know, I mean, it's, he's not going to be starting or anything like that. They've got guys who are more experienced, and Nick Harris is certainly wanting that job back. But um, I, I think he could be a pretty good value for what they got. And he's a gamer. He really is. So I'm, I'm interested. Mean, we don't want to see Herman. I forgot who the heck that guy was. Havalte, whatever, who was playing Havalte center. Havalte Froholt. Yeah, we don't see that. I started to say Herman Fontenot. Well, that was not right. <laughs> that was an old Browns name coming back to me. But, yes, we don't want to see Herman Fontenot or your guy, Valte, whatever, at center. We want to see a center playing center. And that is a good thing about uh, bringing back Posick and then the guys that are behind them. You know, Harris has to prove he can stay healthy. Uh, so that's my view, too. You know, if you're playing center at Ohio State, you've got to be a borderline NFL talent if you're starting you have to be because they play such a high level and i know the the browns were thrilled to get him in the sixth round because they said that uh one thing about him that when you're drafting low i was told this that they like to uh, teams like to say well that guy could play guard too or whatever he goes this guy really is a pure center that's it so they thought they got good value for that now the other thing is DTR, the quarterback from UCLA. This was intriguing to me because I did some work on this. And I was told by a very high source, they had him ranked as the fifth best quarterback in this draft. And he was like 10th off the board. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And they would have drafted him earlier, only it wasn't a priority position for them. But when it came to the fifth round, they go, and they had brought in – they were looking at um, uh, quarterbacks because they had brought in a couple of guys. But he was their guy, and they go, we have to take him now. And they you – know, they have, what, Kellen Mond and um, – so – and they've got Dobbs, obviously, as the backup. But they think this kid can develop into one of these guys that plays in the NFL a long time. You know, maybe Jacoby Brissett type or – something like that. If nothing else, as a source also told me, we have him a year or two. And if he ends up being, you know, okay. And then we have say um, Watson continues to play. Well, you could trade this guy for something. These guys bounce around. If you look like you could play at all in the NFL as a quarterback, uh, there's value, but they really believe now a lot of like Dean, Bu- uh, uh, Dane Buer, who I like as a, a, uh, draft expert and a couple others, they don't like him. They say he bolts out of the pocket too soon. He's very athletic, but seems sort of skittish. Um, so I'm anxious to see him, you know, more when they're really playing and tackling. Uh, but I'm intrigued because it's kind of the Browns are over here on one end with this guy. And most of the NFL and the experts are on the other end saying he's just another guy. And the Browns think, no, he's more than just another guy, you know. So. And it's also fun to watch quarterbacks. You kind of have an idea what's going on. Yeah, and just to, to your point, Terry, they took Dorian Thompson-Robinson with the 142nd pick, and they liked Mitchell, and they could have taken him there, but they waited two picks later to get Mitchell yes. just to show you how much they wanted DTR. So, And then mm-hmm. uh, Luke, I think they were Luke fearful. was 190th just for background. Yeah. So, anyway, about and DTR. So you have that. So those are intriguing guys. Um, what do you think about Ika? I always get the name wrong. Ika? Siaki Ika? Ika, yeah. 
Yeah. I, I think they need beef up front and, and he'll give mm-hmm. it to them. So he'll be a good rotational player for the first year and then we'll see what happens. So there we go. Yeah. All right. Um, so I'm, go ahead, Terry. Um, so we'll be, you know, it's always fun this time. You know, we write about a bunch of guys that you probably don't end up seeing a whole lot of later on, but remember this 15% of all players be drafted between the third and sixth round. And it's almost all the same end up being viable NFL starters, about 30 to 40% play roles. In other words, more than half of these guys are gone within a few years. And the seventh round is really, is really the, the numbers are extremely low. That's why Barry almost always trades a seventh rounder. Yeah, you know, speaking of seventh round, I learned something during the draft. I don't know if you know this, but I always thought Mr. Irrelevant, the last per- person yeah. taken in the draft, was always called Mr. Irrelevant, irrelevant because it didn't matter, right? Like, But they told the story at the draft. They do the little ceremony at the end, and the people who give the award out said we, th- the first year they did it, they interviewed the last pick in the draft, and he said, it's irrelevant whether I'm the first guy taken or the last. It's irrelevant because I'm going to I'm ah. going to be in the NFL. And I thought that was a really nice twist. So mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. When you think of seventh, this last guy well, in the you, seventh you're round, you're still better relevant. off drafted in the seventh round than not being drafted at all. Now, some people would argue if you're not drafted at all and you're on the cusp of that, you could kind of pick your team where um, maybe you have a better chance. Nonetheless, there are, no NFL GM likes cutting his draft picks right after he makes them. You know, there's a lot about Andrew Barry, but you can look at a lot of these guys uh, over the years. They have not liked cutting their draft picks right away. Yep, and most GMs don't. So, all right. So, like we mentioned, uh, rookie minicamp coming up this weekend, and we'll be covering that at cleveland.com/brown. So, be sure to check that out. All right, Terry, we got some hey Terry questions here. First of all, I want to mention your newsletter. I should have done at the top of the podcast, but I didn't. Terry has a newsletter. It's basically a compilation of everything he's done. It comes out every Monday. And it's free. And if you want to sign up, all you got to do is go to cleveland.com slash newsletters and put in your email. It takes about 20 seconds, and I'm not exaggerating. And if you want to participate in the podcast, the best way to do that is to shoot us an email at sports at cleveland.com, and we will try to get your question or comment on the podcast the next time we have one. So, all right, ready for the first one? Mm Mm-hmm. This one is from David Lucht. He's from Wilmington, North Carolina. He says he's got, it's kind of two, a two sport question, Terry. Hey, Terry, I've noticed that Emmanuel Classe's cutter slash fastball rarely is hitting 100 miles an hour. He's still very effective at 96, 97, but his ability to strike batters out doesn't seem as dominant as it was. Any longer term worries on him? And then the second no. part. <laughs> okay. No, how's that? I mean, and here's why. As long as he's healthy, um, I I feel good about it. now and then he's had a few problems. I mean the guy was just otherworldly last year. But the last time look, you know, people were complaining about Quasi. I think his ERA is one point eight or something, and it's still uh, some of the time they've told him don't look at the radar gun, just try to hit your spots. Because a lot of these guys um, not only mess themselves up by looking at the radar gun and trying to hit 100 or whatever, they get hurt. In fact, Plezak was guilty of this. They would, Francona was talking about this, and I, I went and asked some more questions. He says, you know, he really looks good in the bullpen. He's doing kind of what we do. And then it's sort of like when he gets out there on the mound, uh, the adrenaline kind of takes over, and he, he kind of loses his delivery in this. And so then I asked, they said, actually, he was worried about the radar gun. He was trying to hit 94, 95. Because he, he basically doesn't trust the stuff. And you and change so, your mechanics and then, yeah. 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 And remember, if I hear one more time, oh, beeper, you know, is velocity's down a couple miles an hour. What's his ERA? That's all I want to know. What's his ERA? He got knocked around finally, I think, his last start. But, I mean, I was at the game a couple weeks ago. Remember the Yankees? bounced them in the first inning for a couple of runs and a couple of hard hit balls. In the next six innings, nobody touches them. I mean, guys are beating the ball in the dirt. They're popping it up. They're muttering, going down to first base. He's got them all off balance. He's a pitcher. And that's – now, you've got to throw – you can't go out there throwing 87 miles an hour all the time. But if you have, like, a good breaking ball and good control, and that's what they're trying to get with Class 8. Let's just put this – put that cutter right on the outside corner – all that, 
and um, and take it from there. Yeah, yes. Most pitching coaches, they'll take location and movement over mm-hmm. velocity any day, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Second part of that question, Terry. And again, this is from David Luck in Wilmington. He says, my theory on the Cavs is that as a young team, they played hard almost all nights for four quarters against most NBA teams that played more relaxed during the regular season. The Knicks surprised the Cavs due to the higher level of intensity once in the playoffs. So the Cavs normally successful level of effort was not enough. You agree with that, Terry? I like it. And on top of that, the Knicks, who beat them three out of four in the regular season, played that way too. Remember, the Knicks were known with Thibodeau as a hard playing, especially after they got Josh Hart. When they got Josh Hart, I think they went 22-11. and 11. Remember that. That trade changed their season. And so I think there's real merit to that. And then it just showed that, quote, playing hard in the regular season, there's another gear in the playoffs. Miami does the same thing. And, you know, Miami said guys hurt and all kinds of stuff go wrong there. And there they are. They Weren't they in the play-in? I believe they were in the, also in the play-in tournament too. I believe so. Yeah, so think about that. There we're in the play-in, play and the Lakers are in the play-in, and they're still alive. Yep. All right, this next question is from Dan Falk, and Dan is from Jeronesville, Ohio, and he says, Hi, fellas. What is the latest on television coverage of the Guardians? I have YouTube TV and cannot watch hardly any games. I was willing to spend the extra money this season to watch them, but there is nothing remotely reasonable that I can find. The MLB app blacks out local teams while the <laughs> others are like 60 bucks That's a month. Just- it's just out, it's outlandish. Which we'll I will sell not you pay. MLB games, but you can't watch your team. Yeah. And what business does that? <laughs> he says, That's any- like this. I'm going to open a Dairy Queen, but we're not going to have ice cream. But come on in and get our burgers. <laughs> we're going to try pretzels. I mean, are you nuts? Yeah, go it's ahead. Terrible. You said you actually said you know something about ballets. Probably I do. Let me let I me do. finish what Dan says. He says, "Do you have any recommendations or news <laughs> on future programming?" So we do have some information, Dan. Uh, uh, also, hand, you also take says, this one. Right, I'm just talking about Gary, Dairy Queen not having ice cream. That's as far no, as I want. You you just encapsulated every Guardians fans' feelings who does who isn't able to watch games. So, but anyway, Dan says, "Terry, you need to talk about your book. I think was entitled False Start." Mm-hmm. so that newer fans can learn about the way we were done wrong with the new Browns team by the NFL. So anyway, we can get into that. But first of all, Dan, so um, Paul Hoynes, who covers the Guardians for us, has been reporting on this. Basically, Diamond, which is, I think it's called, called Diamond Sports Group, which owns the rights through Bally's, um, has a bunch of teams. I think they have 14 of 30 of the 30 MLB teams. They are going bankrupt, and what they've done is cherry-pick the teams they want to pay, and they don't want to pay the rest. So they're like, well, we have these teams in big markets, and we're going to pay their rights fees so we can keep showing the games. But the ones like the Twins and the Rangers and the Diamondbacks and the Guardians, um, we're going bankrupt. We're not really going to pay you. So what basically happened was it went to court last month, and the judge said, listen, you're going to pay the Guardians 50% of what you owe them. And I think the Guardians are going to make $55 million on the TV deal this year. So they, they're getting 50% of their April payment and 50% of their May payment. Then there's going to be a court hearing on May 31st, and they're going to work out the rest of it. We may see in early June, Terry, that MLB pulls back the rights to Guardians games. And then Dan will be able to watch them through the MLB app because I think MLB will be distributing the games on MLB Network and through their app, and you can buy them and stream them, and you can do it on any machine you want. So I think a lot of fans would like to see that happen, but that's kind of where it's at, Dan. But I'm with you, Terry. It's ridiculous that you can buy the MLB Extra Innings Package or whatever it's called where you can watch every game in the majors except the team that's in your town. Like it why makes buy zero it? sense. Yeah. I'm serious. Why buy I mean, okay. I understand they're hardcore MLB fans or hardcore NBA fans, but why buy it if you can't see your team? Oh, and when the NFL has done this with Sunday Ticket, like if you watched the Browns on the Sunday Ticket channel, it would be the local broadcast with the local commercial. Yeah. So they're getting their money anyway, but I get, maybe they couldn't try. I don't know. But this this seems just ludicrous the way it's set up, and hopefully it's coming to an end here. It doesn't seem. Point. It is. <laughs> I mean, no, it just, oh, this it is self-destructive. Right. And the NFL and the NBA would never engage in such you know, outlandish behavior for their customers. So, you know, Manford's got to step in here 
And this is what I do like is that I think this is going to force them to address the um, broadcast problems because you know, it's so splintered. You know, this game's on here and there. I, I mean, okay, I, I'm going to sound like some old guy. Who the heck knows how to watch Apple TV other than somebody under the age of 12? <laughs> well, I watch Ted Lasso, so I do. Okay. But <laughs> I thought he was on something else besides Apple TV. No, I don't think so. I haven't followed. Uh, we'll see yet. the shows what I, I think know. Rob Manfred will be getting rights to Ted Lasso very yeah, soon. Yeah, but you, you know, Andy Griff is still on like We TV. Yeah, you yeah. Get that no, uh, you get the point though. You you're confusing people. You got this game's on on this TV. This one's on that. Um, and you need to make sure that at least 150 of those games are on a network that everybody can get if they're willing to pay, say, the major league app or whatever it is. That's what they, and I understand you want 10 or 12 games and you got an Amazon thing or whatever these uh, outliers are. Okay, fine. But you've got to make 90% of your schedule available where people can get it. And this should not be that hard to do. And we've talked about this, Terry. There's so many people who are shut-ins or, or sure. older and don't know how to get – they don't know how to stream. They just want to be able to watch the game for a few hours, and um, they're they're going to suffer. If, th- if things change, it's going to be a big shock to a lot of people. So I hope I hope they come up with an easy solution. So. I mean, you know, in my mind, most of the rule changes I like. And so now fix the TV. I yeah, mean, I like these, these games. Like in the old days, right? Yeah. Well, Why not? Well, interesting – how about how about that? Yeah. What would it take for that to be the case? Stream it on MLB.com and put it on Channel 43. So You may have to yeah. wean these teams, David, off of the big money they were getting on these for these uh, cable TV contracts because that money is going away as people are not um, – you know, basically your subscribers – to Bally's or whatever it is, they're going away. And so you have to figure out a different way of presenting your product, either multiple venues or on one that is real accessible and, and not that expensive or else you're just really destroying your product after you're trying to uplift it and make it more, you know, accommodating to people. Um, So I mean, there you they, go. Have, they have to be watching the NFL, which puts its games on everywhere all the time and has mm-hmm. seen explosive growth. So that is the model. So, all right, Terry, uh, I don't know. Anything else you want to talk about? I think we're done for today. No, that'll do it. All right. I am going to, you, you got me going on Apple TV and Ted Lasso. I do want to tell people, if you have not seen Ted Lasso, you should check it out. It's a charming show and um, it's a feel good show. Make, make you happy. Just check it out if you can. That's all I got, right? All you got? I think we're good. That's it. You know, I, I told you today you had to recommend something. So there, there you, you are. There you go. Ted Lasso is my recommendation and uh, and MLB games for all, all the time. That's my other recommendation. So, all right, Terry, thanks for uh, your time today. Thanks for listening, everybody. We appreciate it. The podcast is uh, is continuing to grow. We're really excited. And, and we thank you for all the time you spend listening. We'll talk to you next week on a new edition of Terry's Talking.